0: Up. welcome to i communicate on full service radio 830 wcrn to join the conversation call 508-871-7000 now here's your host mark altman
1: okay welcome to i communicate i'm your host mark altman president and founder of mindset go where we help leaders, teams, and individuals become more confident and effective communicators. So today we're gonna do a show, I read a blog recently and it got me thinking, and we're gonna do a show called How Do You Know If Your Career Has Become Your Identity? And this article really triggered me and struck me because there's no right answer for this one, right? Now, throughout the show, I'm gonna give you some strategies and techniques to know, really more importantly, If your career has become your identity in a negative way, if your work-life balance is truly off, but I guess what I'm saying right out of the gate is when people say you need work-life balance, there's often a societal template that we're supposed to follow, that we're supposed to work X amount of hours during the week, and then the rest of our time we're supposed to use for our family and friends or whatever our goals are, which we're going to get to in a moment. But when you have your career become your identity, it implies that you've lost a sense of self. And what are the challenges with that? If you've lost a sense of self and your career has become your identity, then when you hit roadblocks or your career doesn't go, certain things don't go the way you want it to go or the way you want them to go, it can affect your confidence It can affect your self-esteem. It can affect your motivation. So there's a danger when you become so isolated and so rigid on getting fuel from only one specific thing or one primary thing. And that's what the show is about, is how to understand if your career has become your identity and how to bring that work-life balance back in a way where you can have your cake and eat it too. Now, for me, my career is part of my identity. It's a big part of my identity. Um, and where I struggle with is for so many years I had a job and I owned a previous company where I didn't love the, what I did. I didn't love the day-to-day of what I did. I loved the customers. I loved the people I served. Um, I liked my employees, but I didn't love what I did. And so when I started Mindset Go over six years ago, it was like, wow, this is great. I've always had a passion for helping people, but more specifically, because I don't like that phrase, helping people, it's kind of lazy. So more specifically, I always loved the opportunity to help build people's confidence, to shift their mindsets in a way where they can believe in themselves, to develop new skills and habits, to make them more successful personally and professionally. I've always had a passion around that. And so whenever people say, well, Mark, you work too much, I always say, but I love it. Like I love what I do. Most of the time it doesn't feel like work. So even though society tells me that, you know, if I exceed, I don't know, 50 hours a week, that may be out of balance. Um, and I may be sacrificing things that may be impacting my resiliency, affecting my stress level, my energy level, and things like that. I struggle with it because I really love what I do. So, what is the right amount of balance? You know, what are, what are to, to know the right amount of balance, you'd have to have goals and you'd have to have passions and influences. And where there's this cross-section of work-life balance and how to know if your career has become your identity is because if you believe your career may have become your identity or you know someone that fits in that bucket, part of the problem is they may have let it become their identity because they don't know what else to put in its place. So for example, if you've worked too much forget what society tells you if you believe you work too much I would ask you well what tells you that and if you're gonna say Well, I, I feel tired I feel stressed okay but ultimately if you work too much and you started to work less what would fill in the time that you're not working as much and I think a lot of people who work long hours entrepreneurs executives, business owners, leaders, right? They, aren't, they don't have the carrot. They don't have the clear incentive and motivation to know what would be the replacement. And so, think of this for a minute. If you're feeling like your work-life balance is, is not the correct balance, I would ask you, well, what are your goals? What are your financial goals? What are your family goals? And here's stuff we hear parents talk about all the time. How much time do you want with your kids? How much time do you want with your partner? How much time do you want with your friends? People say, well, you want me to put goals for how much time I want with my kids, partner, and friends? Sure do. Because if your work has become your identity and you're working too much, what's going to motivate you to do anything different? And instead of walking around feeling guilty that you don't spend enough time with your kids, your partner, your friends, what can you do to make changes? No, and that doesn't even get into other goals. I would ask you, what are some career goals? What are some goals you have for yourself to pursue hobbies? I coach basketball and baseball. This summer I've been coaching a baseball team and I bet between games Practices, organizing, details, communicating with parents. I bet by the end of the summer, that will have taken me, boy, every bit of 50, 60 hours of time, easily. Now, if you had said to me in the beginning of the summer, can you fit 50 or 60 hours of free time into your schedule? I'd say, are you joking? 50 or 60 hours of free time to coach a baseball team? Heck no. But I did, didn't I? I found it. And even though I love what I do, I found out that I also have passions in other areas that I also love and enjoy, and that's mentoring and coaching kids. So we get in these mindsets of we work so much because we have to make a certain amount of money to support our family. And in some cases, that's true. And, you know, based on where you're at financially, based on your socioeconomic situation, you may need to do that. That's true. But there are other times when we tell ourselves we have to do certain things and we have a fixed mindset that we can't have more time with our kids, partner, or friends. We can't take time to pursue hobbies or other interests. We can't take time to breathe. We can't take 30 minutes out of our workday to breathe and decompress and process information and recognize how you're feeling and your emotions. Because that 30 minutes, we simply don't have time for. Think of that. Think of how many people tell themselves, I can't take 30 minutes out of my day. Because they're trying to survive their day. They've relegated themselves to a resignation mindset that they have to survive, and they have no opportunity to either thrive or start a bridge to thriving instead of surviving. So what it comes down to is your mindset. Do you feel like you have control over something else? Do you, have you identified things that would motivate you to do anything different? And if it's your personal life, Is is more time with your kids, more time with your partner, more time with your friends a motivator? Is time for yourself to pursue hobbies and interests a motivator? Forget about telling yourself all the reasons you can't do it. Shift to a growth mindset and look for incremental changes and things you can do so you can do it. Now, when we come back for our next segment, we're going to get into that question, how do you know if your career has become your identity? because the work-life balance is the trickle-down effect from that. So how do you know if your career has become your identity, what can you do about it? Do you want to do anything about it? What are the consequences of your career becoming your identity? We know what the pros are, you love it, it's a comfort zone, it's how you get your self esteem and confidence, it's how you get your fuel, we know the benefits. But have you thought about the consequences? And when we come back, we're going to get into the consequences and how to recognize if you have that diagnosis. So for I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back.
0: Now, I Communicate continues on full service radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman.
1: Okay, welcome back to I Communicate, And we're talking about how to recognize if you have your career has become your identity and part of it is the pressure of society, right? So we often are immersed in a toxic work culture, we have family values and pressure, and we have socioeconomic class that are highly valued in our society. And when we become slaves to these values, our own personal identity suffers. We're trying to, I talked about losing your sense of self. We're trying to live someone else's dream. So toxic work culture, are you expected to work long hours? It's just part of the culture. It's become autopilot. You don't feel like you have a vote. You don't feel like you can do anything different. And I have to tell you, that's a pet peeve of mine. Because a lot of executives and leaders that tell me they work in a toxic work culture, that you have to work long hours, it's not always the case. It's that leaders have decided on their own that they need to work a certain amount of hours to prove themselves or to show their contributions or so they don't stand out from their peers. Well, that's you making that decision. You can't control how other people live their lives and do their job and the hours they work, but you can control yourself. So when you say you're part of a toxic work culture, look in the mirror. Look at the decisions you've made. Look at the opportunities you have to change your work style and your work approach. I often find when I work with leadership teams, it comes up. When I say that, they'll say, no, you're right. It's just that I don't want to look at like I'm not a team player. I don't want to be the one that stands out and looks like they're not working hard as everybody else. But see, that also implies that you're being evaluated based on the amount of hours you work. So if you feel like you have to work a certain amount of hours, show your, show your face in the office a certain amount of times for visibility, that implies that's the primary way you're being evaluated. And I would say that in my experience, working with different levels of leadership, including C-Suite over the years, very, very few people are evaluated on the amount of hours they work. Most leaders are evaluated on results. And if you have convinced yourself, if you are giving yourself the narrative that for you to generate results, you have to work really long hours, no way, no way. We had, on last week's show, we had on Danielle, an executive, who talked about how she made drastic changes in her schedule. Took, started taking time during the day to coach her team, taking time for decompressing and processing information. And she said she's more productive than ever. But when you give yourself the narrative, you're stuck, and you have to work long hours. You're also implying that that's how you're evaluated as a leader. That's how you're going to get raises. That's how you're going to get promoted. That's how you're going to get recognized. And listen, everything's situational. I'm not saying that's never the case. I'm saying that I bet if you approached your boss or I approached your boss and said, how are you being evaluated? I would bet that would not even be in the top three. So how do we lose part of ourselves? when we become so enmeshed in our job? Well, what does enmesh even mean? Enmesh, Enmeshment is when you have a situation where the boundaries between people become blurred and individual identities lose importance. So how do you know? How do you know if you've become enmeshed in your job and it's become your identity? Well, one of the questions is, how much do you think about your job outside the office? You know, do you find that your mind is frequently consumed with work-related thoughts? Is it difficult to participate in conversations with others that are not about your work? Well, I can speak from personal experience and say that that last part of the question, is it difficult to participate in conversations with others that are not about your work? It is for me because my work is about Helping people develop and strengthen relationships through better communication and emotional intelligence. So, that applies to so many aspects of life. So, I love talking about it. And so, you know, I find with friends or my life partner that she and I talk about stuff related to work. Now, it helps because a lot of this stuff relates to her work as well. But at the end of the day, there's questions about enmeshment that I struggle with because I say that if you're participating in conversations with others that are only about your work or that center on your work, well it can be a problem. it also can be a problem if you're not if you're spending too much time talking about your own work and your own self as opposed to asking people about their situations that can be a problem but you know come on let's just Let's just look at the simple level of the questions. You know, are you thinking about work too much? It's one thing to put your laptop away at 7 o'clock. It's one thing to stop responding to emails. But are you struggling to go to sleep because you're thinking about what you have to do tomorrow? You're thinking about how you're going to solve this problem? Are you struggling to be present and mindful for your life partner or your kids because you're distracted from different work challenges going through your mind? That's a problem. That's a problem. That means you're enmeshed That means you have lost part of your identity. That means you're struggling with your balance. You know, it's funny, when people are asked the question, tell me about yourself, whether it's in a job interview or networking situations, I often tell them to not start out with their work, because for many people, it's not that interesting. If you are a wealth management advisor, and I say, tell me about yourself, and I'm meeting you for the first time, and you say, oh, well, I work for such and such company and I do financial planning or wealth management. It's not all that exciting. I may have preconceived notions about people in that field, and it doesn't make me curious to necessarily learn more about you. It may or may not mean your identity is your work, but it's not all that interesting. You know, if you're a college student, the first thing you say is, you know, I'm a, I'm a sophomore at Framingham State, Same thing. That's not the most interesting thing you could probably say. So when you describe yourself, you know, for instance, when someone says, tell me about yourself, this is what I say. I say, um, I'm I'm a lifelong entrepreneur who helps people with their communication skills. I love sports. I love all kinds of music. And I'm a parent of three kids, and I love spending time with my kids. Well, now they're hearing all kinds of things about myself. There's four areas they could talk to me now, sports, music, parenting, actually there's five, entrepreneurship or communication. So in one sentence, 15 seconds, I gave my counterpart five topics to talk to me about. That's more interesting than I'm a VP of sales at such and such company. And so Think about if the default reaction, if the first thing you talk about is your job and your work, even if you take a lot of pride in it, even if you love in it, even if you love it, that may not be the most important thing or most valuable thing, to build relationships and to develop friendships and get to know new people. Now, one of the questions about enmeshment is, you're supposedly supposed to ask yourself. Has anyone ever complained to you that you're in the office too much? And this is a tricky one, because when you're trying to figure out if you've lost your identity, that question speaks to something different for me. If you have a life partner that complains to you that you're in the office too much, you have a different problem. And that is you don't have clear expectations in your relationship. Because you may love your job. You may enjoy spending lots of hours at your job. But what that is, is if someone says, you're spending too much time in the office, that says to you that their need is not being met and that they want more time with you and they want you to focus and be present and more mindful of your relationship with them. So it's one thing to say, I'm doing something wrong by spending too much time in the office. My, my societal template for work-life balance is off. It's another thing to say, wow, we better get on the same page because it sounds like you have different needs and wants than I do and we should become aligned on our expectations and how we communicate with one another. And so the complaint, you are spending too much time in the office, is just that, it's a complaint. And most human beings, when they're fielding a complaint get defensive and have an adverse reaction. And when we come back from this break, I'm going to share with you how you could communicate that in a totally different way to create an open and comfortable conversation and perhaps get the results you're looking for. So for i communicate, this is Mark Altman.
0: We'll be right back. You're listening to i communicate on full service radio 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman.
1: So welcome back to I Communicate. We're talking about questions to gauge if you are become enmeshed in your job, if your job has become your primary identity. And we're talking about if someone complains that you're spending too much time in the office. And I was saying right before the break that when you feel the complaint, there's a tendency to get defensive. So if you feel like your partner is spending too much time in the office, instead of complaining, say, you know, I miss that we're not spending as much time, you know, going out to dinner, watching TV. I miss it. I would like to spend more time doing that. Now someone doesn't feel like they necessarily need to be defensive. They can share, you know, what their perspective is, their point of view. But one of the critical aspects of communication is reframing negatives to positives, reframing complaints to requests Reframing complaints or criticism to wants and needs. And so I think people who have made their job their identity and who have become enmeshed in their culture and their environment in the workplace, it's not that they necessarily want to do that. It's that they become enmeshed in patterns over time, set in their ways where they're just so used to it, they've lost the ability to see a different perspective. So if you want someone to see a different perspective, it's typically not a effective way to criticize or complain as a strategy to get them to see a different perspective. And so this is the problem with habits. If you tell me as a leader, you want to start delegating more because you don't feel like you're delegating enough, you may have struggled to delegate for years. Your reasons for not delegating may be that people have violated your trust, and so you've lost confidence in people in general. So if you haven't delegated effectively for five years, um, the ability to start delegating effectively, work through your trust issues, work through your ability to set people up for success when you delegate tasks in the first place, if you haven't been doing that or you don't have that skill, that takes time. When people have become enmeshed in their jobs and their jobs become their identity and you want them to change habits and to change patterns, that takes time. The likelihood that after you have that initial conversation, the next day they're gonna stop becoming enmeshed in their job and change all their habits, it's not gonna happen. And so it will be very rare when people have established patterns and precedents of habits and behaviors it takes time to change them. And it often depends on how long they've been doing the existing behavior or habit. How, how enmeshed they are in that pattern. Now, then we ask the question, which I alluded to before, do you have hobbies outside of work that don't directly involve your work-related skills and abilities? Well, guess what? That's an important question. But really, to me, the bigger question is, not just do you have them, because most people have things they want to do or like to do. Not everyone, but many people, but they're not motivated to change their habits and do them. If you're someone that weren't wanted to learn how to fix cars, okay? And that's been a passion of yours, you like cars, you've been into cars, you want to fix cars. If someone says to you, you know, if you work a little less and not become so enmeshed in your work, you could have some time to explore that. But see, the problem is, when people think about changing habits or behaviors, it feels daunting, even if it's something you want to do. Because there's a lot of steps in learning about cars. There could be 10 steps. First, you have to find a resource where you're going to learn, how you're going to learn. It could be a cost. Do you trust the person teaching you? What are the specific skills you want to learn? Is it an oil chain or do you want how to fix an engine? So the challenge when you become enmeshed in your work and your identity becomes your work, even if you know the alternatives and even if the alternatives are attractive to you, spending more time with your kids, spending more time with your partner, pursuing a hobby or interest you've always wanted to pursue, creating an action plan and creating steps to making that happen takes time. And often people don't know how to put that kind of action plan together. And if you don't know how to put an action plan in place, if you don't know how to take what looks like a daunting task and break it down into incremental steps, you're probably not going to do it. And this is why, even when you're motivated to make a change, if you don't know how to start, if you can't put together an action plan, if you can't articulate the benefits of what, what it would mean to you to learn how to fix cars, you're probably not going to do it. Now, what it comes down to is this. This is the question that I think is the most powerful way to know if your career is your identity and if you become enmeshed in your work life. And that is, how would you feel if you could no longer continue in your profession? Now, for me, if someone told me, I couldn't coach or train any longer or speak to people to motivate them, I'd be heartbroken. I'd be devastated. I get so much intrinsic motivation and intrinsic fuel from spending time doing this. Now there's a difference between being heartbroken and devastated but also understanding what your other options are. So if I couldn't pursue this as a living for a profession to get paid for, I would be heartbroken and devastated, but I also know there's other things I could do for a living. I also would be able to recognize the qualities, the skills and the characteristics I could have and how they may translate to another industry, another career, another profession. So it's one thing, if you could no longer continue in your profession, to feel heartbroken. It's another thing to feel like you have nothing else to offer to anybody else or to any other company in your career and that you'd be lost and you wouldn't know what you could do with yourself. And by the way, it would be understandable because if you've been doing something for 20 or 30 or 40 years and that's all you've known in your life, yes, you may not have ever thought about what you would do if that situation comes up, but that doesn't necessarily mean you don't have qualities and skills and characteristics that would translate to something else. You know, I do work with pro bono work with job seeker groups. Think of how hard it is for, to be 50 or 60 years old or in your 50s and 60s and to lose your job, especially when you've been doing the same basic set of skills your whole life. And This doesn't even get into the discrimination that exists Against older generations. It just speaks to, it's almost like, where do I, what do I do now? Where do I even start? Think of how hard that would be for someone. So, when it comes to your career becoming your identity, you know, in a case like that, it may not even be that the career became their identity. It just means that they never had the need or reason to think about the qualities, skills, or characteristics that could translate to having a different identity. And they hadn't thought about that. They hadn't needed to think about it. You know, but when you think about why this happens, why you get to this point, you know, one of them, as I alluded to before, is the toxic work culture. But the other one is the culture you grew up with. And when we come back, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how the culture you grew up with, your parents, your early life influencers, very often highly contribute to your career being your identity and being enmeshed. So for Mark Altman, this is iCommunicate. We'll be right back for our final segment.
0: Now iCommunicate continues on full-service radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman.
1: Okay, welcome back to iCommunicate. We're here for our final segment. We're talking about how to know if your career has become your identity, if you're off balance with your work-life balance. And we're talking about why this happens in the first place and what are the causes. And this, this is really profound to me because I find that in a lot of the executives I coach and leaders I coach, that a lot of their habits and behaviors have stemmed from their childhood and the templates that were created by their parents? Think about this. What were your parents like? Were they workaholics? What did they reinforce in you? What did you, how did they build yourself and Steve and confidence? Was it how hard you worked in school? Was it that you were driven to get jobs in high school and jobs in college? You know, what was what was What were the things that your parents or past mentors or bosses have prioritized and emphasized in giving you feedback? How have they led by example? What were you taught were the most important priorities in being a human being? Did your parents have their identities built around their careers? Did they have a mindset that they needed to do whatever they needed to do to support their families? Now, on the surface, you would say, well, what's wrong with that? But if they put their head down and were constantly working and were not emotionally, physically, or mentally available to their kids, you may think that's the right way. That was the example that was set for you. That's the template you have. And maybe has what's driven you to where you are today. Look, I mentioned before earlier in the show about the work culture and fitting in and not standing out. People have fears of failure. They have fear of isolation. And it forces them. Now, that's not right. Not forces them, but it facilitates uh, a mentality of centering their lives on achieving what is expected of them by someone else. I said it at the top of the show, losing your sense of self. You have an intense focus and drive to live up to somebody else's expectations. Your parents, your teachers, your bosses, perhaps coaches you've had. They tell you what success is. Your identity becomes synonymous with someone else's definition of success. Are you living up to someone else's standards or are you living up to your own? Do you even have your own standards? Do you have goals? Do you have standards that you've created that you say, screw everybody else? I don't care what other people want me to do. I'm going to define my own standards. My parents knew what they knew when I was growing up. Doesn't mean they did a bad job. Doesn't mean they were malicious or or didn't have their priorities in order. They knew what they knew. It's called unconscious incompetence. You don't know what you don't know, or you knew what you knew. So your parents made the decisions to the best of their ability, their knowledge, and their skills. But that doesn't mean they were the right decisions. Losing your sense of self when it comes to your identity. What is your identity? What do you want to be known for? What are your core values you want to live by? You may be given goals and key performance indicators in the workplace, but what are your own goals? How do you evaluate yourself as a parent, as a partner, as a leader, as a subordinate? Have you taken the time to get that sense of self? And if you spend time living up to someone else's standards and goals and you've lost the ability, it creates problems. It creates depression, it can create anxiety, it can create substance abuse. How about loneliness? So how do you fix it? Well, you don't have to commit to anything long term. You know, if you want to get your identity back and start coming up with your own goals, let's say you want to exercise more. You don't have to sign up for a marathon. You don't have to tell yourself you need to go to the gym every day need to go to the gym every day. How about taking a 15-minute walk every day? How about doing it three times a week just to start? What about if you've lost connection with your friends? People started reaching out to you because you never can do anything. You never have time. Pick one friend. Pick a family member. Pick a colleague. One. Pick a time once once or twice a month to go out and have drinks with them or have breakfast or have dinner. It's time to consider what's important to you. It is so hard to replace habits. It is so hard to change behaviors because we make it feel so daunting. We don't break it down into small pieces. So it makes it palatable to start. What do you care about? And let those priorities guide you. During the pandemic, when people, people did it before the pandemic and they'll do it after the pandemic, when people say how busy they are all the time and they wear it like a badge of honor, I'm so busy. Stop. Decide as a leader, what can you control and what can't you control? And when you look at what you can control, now it's about the choices. On the, on the way you spend your time, on the way you live your life, on the standards you have, on the goals you have, What do you want to do? What choices do you want to make? What are the non-negotiable values and things that you want to make sure that you're doing as a leader that you're building time for and prioritizing? We do something called a values clarification exercise. A values clarification exercise is a process that involves you reflecting on your direction for relationships, community, career, parenting, and ranking them at your importance to you. If you're that person who is sitting there going, honestly, if my job got taken away from me, I don't know what I'd do. Well, that feels like a really horrible and sad narrative to tell yourself. Instead of saying, I don't know what I do because I'm so enmeshed in my job, why don't you take a few minutes to list some skills and qualities and experience that you have that could translate into other careers? Think of what you thought you'd be doing when you were younger. And if you had the opportunity to rekindle that opportunity, what are some accomplishment skills and qualities that you have that could make you effective in that industry or in that career path? But when you have a fixed mindset and you say, I don't know what I would do or how I would survive, that doesn't help. It just creates your stress and anxiety level, increases it. So instead, reframe the negative to positive. Why don't you take some time? And if you don't know, if you're struggling, why don't you ask some people that you trust and respect, including your own family, your kids, your partner, your mother, your father, your sister, your brother. Talk to people in the workplace who trust and respect you. See what develop some self-awareness of how they see you and how they perceive you and what they see as your biggest strengths and qualities. You have choices. I say it all the time. Some people may be stuck. Some people may have things that are out of their control that they may be stuck with. That's true. But most people have things that they can control but forget that they have the control. It's time to get clarity. It's time to understand what's important, important to you regarding your core values and passion. There's an expression, love it, leave it, or change it. What does that mean? Well, love it means acceptance. I'm not proposing that in a, in a phony way That there are things at your job or in your culture that you just should start loving even if you don't love them but it means what do you need to accept and what do you want to do differently and love it means either get on board accept what's in front of you stop complaining about it embrace it and accept it is what love means leave it means if you desire if, if you do a values clarification exercise and your core values and passion and what you want out of life isn't what you have at your job right now then start exploring what other options you have by listing your skills, qualities and accomplishments by getting feedback from people that love you and trust and you trust and change it means be recognize what you can change can you advocate for yourself can you communicate when things when your expectations aren't being met, can you advocate for yourself? Can you change those things? Can you make a difference? There's no time like the presence, audience. Time is our most valuable commodity. Identify where you think you're stuck and what you have control over. Love it, leave it, or change it. So for this edition of I Communicate. Have a wonderful rest of the week. I'm Mark Altman. We'll see you next time.
0: You've been listening to I Communicate with your host, Mark Altman. Join us again each week at this time on Full Service Radio, WCRN.